Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back to the Cards on the Table MMA podcast. And oh my god, is that intro music? Yes, it is. Uh, let me know what you guys think. I think it makes the sound pa- pa- the podcast sound a lot more professional. Um, we got a pretty nice card coming up here. UFC 245 looking real nice. And we're just going to get straight into what happened on UFC on ESPN 7 this past weekend on Saturday. It was a overall, I'd give it about a 5 out of 10. I heard the prelims were good, but unfortunately I was not able to watch them. It's I got finals week coming up in this. I gotta pick my battles, man. If it's between this and UFC 245, it's not much of a battle. Um, but there was a twister finish, which I did see the highlight of. Bryce Mitchell versus Matt Sales, which was pretty crazy. I think the last one was Korean Zombie, way back in the day, almost 10 years ago at this point. So, just in, those are always fun to watch. I love me some rare submissions. And I watched Tim Means versus Thiago Alves. Tim Means was a fun fighter, man. It was a fun short fight. Alves was actually looking surprisingly decent, given how old he is and how not juiced up he is anymore. He looks way smaller than he used to. It's absolutely insane. He landed a nasty body kick on Tim Means and landed, like I said, some decent shots, but Means knocked him down eventually and then locked in a standing guillotine. Sort of like the thing Habib does where he stands in people's guards and pushes his hips against their chest. He did that with a guillotine. Great finish, Tim Means, round one. Again, really exciting fight. If you have five minutes to watch a fight, that's a pretty decent one. Then you had Ricky Simon versus Rob Font. Simon did not look good in this fight. Uh, he just lost to Uriah, Uriah Faber as well. Had a beautiful mullet, though, and really that should have won in the fight. But he had zero head movement, and that's probably more important than in a fight. He was getting jabbed up the entire fight, and he did get some takedowns, but really could only get control, wasn't really able to land any ground and pound. And Font wins that one by unanimous decision. Cody Saman versus Song Yadong was pretty disappointing. Both guys are usually pretty explosive, and it ends up being a majority draw. Stamen did look good in the third round. He really picked up the tempo. I think he was down two rounds going in on the judges' scorecards. I think one judge gave it for Yadong, because they didn't give the round three a 10-8. Either way, that fight didn't really live up to the expectations. Third round was fun to watch, though. Then you had Aspen Ladd versus Yana Kunitskaya. Ladd just looked way stronger on the ground. And Kunitskaya had terrible striking defense in the round in round three. It, they the ref said go go fight. And then Yana Kunitskaya kind of jumped into a left hook from Ladd. And just a clean left hook and knocked her down and then finished up with ground and pound. It was doing a nice thing where she was taking the back and then continue. She was punching from the back more than anything. And I forgot which week I brought this up. It might have been last week, but good job of not focusing on getting the choke and just doing damage because that's probably more important in an MMA fight, especially with the way judging is. I don't know if I agree or disagree, but with the way judging is right now, but you need to focus on damage right now, as well as control. And then you had Stefan Struve versus Ben Wathwell, which was peak meme potential. It was a typical heavyweight fight, aka terrible entertainment. Struve was winning though, he was winning with distance strikes. Rothwell was doing well in the clinch, landing some nice uppercuts, but Struve was landing some nice distance strikes. Nothing powerful, but just outlanding him. But he got kicked in the cup, to put it nicely, 
hard twice to the point where he was laying on the ground, writhing around in pain. And there was a bit of controversy from this fight. Dan Mergliata, big hand Dan, was refing, And the second time, I believe, Struve got kicked in the nuts, in the cup, sorry. And was writhing around, taking almost five minutes each time. No criticism from that because those were some hard shots from a big heavyweight. And I can't even imagine, and I don't even want to imagine what that feels like. But Dan Mergliata was saying to Struve, like, hey, you're up on the scorecards, you're winning. Like, you should keep going because it'll be a no contest or a DQ. I can't remember. But he, so Struve eventually goes back in. I thought he was not going to come back in after the second one. I wouldn't have, I would have no problems of him not coming back in because that was, those were two clean shots. But he goes back in and then gets finished. And he didn't look as good afterwards. And a lot of people are criticizing Den Mergliata for saying the fighter was up on the scorecards and everything. And I actually disagree. I don't think the issue, my personal issue with it, is not that Mergliata was saying that he thought Struve was ahead on the scorecards. I do think a ref shouldn't be allowed to do that. I don't know if the, I don't think there's a rule in MMA against it. But I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is he was encouraging Struve to continue when it wasn't really in his best interest to, especially in a sport where, I mean, he, in this fight, he did end up getting KO'd, or TKO'd, whatever. He ended up taking head and body damage that was avoidable because he was clearly compromised, and a ref should always prioritize the fighter. And Dan shouldn't say, you. the ref should not say you should come back in. They should say, if anything, you should come back in if you can, if you don't think you're comp compromised. But he wasn't qualifying it with anything. He was just saying... You should come back for this reason, this reason, and this reason, while not bringing up the negative of, hey, you're gonna get, you might get the shit kicked out of you, which did happen, and that's just very disappointing. I doubt he'll see any punishment or repercussions for it. I don't. I think Dana did comment, but I can't remember what he said. But just yeah, again, I don't think the issue was necessarily that he told Struve about the judges scorecards. I don't think that's the issue here. I think the issue is he was telling him to continue against what was probably better for his health and future. So yeah, anyway, but Rothwell wins that by round three TKO, breaks his three fight losing streak in the most meme -y fashion, and it sucks for Struve, it really does, because he did look decent. Ben Rothwell's not a great heavyweight, but it's just a disappointing ending to a pretty shit fight. Uh, the co-main event of the evening, you had Marina Rodriguez versus Cynthia Cavillo. Now, again, in the preview show, I didn't pretend to know anything about this fight. And perhaps my really low expectations are what caused me to enjoy it so much. But this was a fun fight, man. Lots of knees to start it off from Rodriguez. Showed some very diverse striking. Cavillo was far stronger on the ground. Rodriguez was far better on the feet. And there was a pretty even balance of each. Last round was a 10-8 for Cavillo, I believe. Showed really nice control. Again, showing some nasty ground and pound and not prioritizing the choke. Didn't fall in love with it. And focusing on damage. And this ended up being a majority draw again. But this was not like the Steam and Yadong fight. It was fun all the way around. And yeah, really surprised. This fight was surprised me. It wasn't fight of the night or anything, to be honest. Probably one of the prelims that I didn't watch would have been Fight of the Night, but this was a fun fight. It surpassed my expectations for sure. 
And then in your main event, you had Overeem versus Rosenstruck, which, oh man, the most Overeem fight you could possibly have. You could not write it if you wrote a script about Alistair Overeem's career in the last few years. You could not write a better script. He fights a almost perfect fight for five, well, for five full rounds, basically, and then gets knocked out with, I think it was four seconds remaining, and not only gets knocked out, but his lip basically split in two. The, it was at least one knuckle deep on his top lip. Gets hit clean, and oh, man, just pretty fucking brutal this fight the ending to this fight because it's just so over him because he was controlling the fight so so well he got a huge gash and yeah he over him was just clearly the better fighter so let's just walk through this fight real quick so first i mean the first four rounds basically over him was or the first round and two over him got a takedown in each with some nice trips rosenstruck started defending them afterwards but even on the feet, Overeem was doing a really good job of dotting his eyes, crossing his T's. I know that's a cliche, but against someone with Rosenstruck's power, that's what you have to do. And especially with Overeem's chin. This is what I talked about for way too long in the preview show, is the chin versus the fist. <laughs> I know that's every MMA fight, but in an Overeem heavyweight fight, that's even that's even more so the case. But Overeem was doing a nice job of not overextending, wasn't landing many combinations, but was still landing. He landed a ni some nice left hooks. One thing he was doing that I did not like was a very static guard, mostly just a Philly shell, putting his hands on his forehead, showing the forearms to the opponent. And the reason why I don't like that is because when you have a static guard like that, static just meaning it's not moving, your hands are in the same spot, He it allows the opponent, it doesn't allow the opponent, but allows the opponent to give the opportunity to look for openings. If you have, say, if your hands are too far apart, then the straight punches might be there. If they're too close together, then the hooks might be there. But it was working. Most of the punches seemed to be hitting his forearms. But then in the last few seconds, after fighting such a good fight, probably up four rounds, the, he was probably losing the fifth, but not a big deal when you're up four rounds. Three at the least. But he drops his hands in the last 10 seconds, and Rosenstruck punishes him for it and knocks him out. And I forgot who the ref was in this fight, but they stopped it. Overeem popped right back up, but he like ran to the side of the cage. So I think it was a good stoppage, because it was pretty clear that he was out of it. So, yeah. It's just so disappointing. It's so hard being an Overeem fan. I'm not like a diehard Overeem fan, but he's been in the game so long. He's been good for so long. He's never got the belt. This fight would have been... It wouldn't have necessarily brought him closer to the belt, but it would have extended his winning streak. But nope, here we are. So yeah, that wraps up UFC on ESPN 7. Let's go into some of the news this week. I'm recording this earlier in the week because, again, finals coming up. I'm super busy. But we're going to crank this out because I love you guys and I love recording the podcast. And I just want to... I really need to show you guys some love, especially with only two cards left this year. I need to, you know, got to keep going. I love you guys. So so we had, first bit of news was Hinato Moicano moves up to lightweight. He was obviously featherweight previously. He was a, he's a good fighter. He's a top 20 featherweight, but he was two and three in his last five. But again, they were all against the best of the best at featherweight. So he's lost to Ortega and then we'll be Calvin Qatar and Cubs Guanson. Cubs Guanson and... 
Kevin Guitar, great wins. Those are, he's basically a gatekeeper. I mean, he lost to Ortega, Jose Aldo, and Korean Zombie. And all those, all those losses were by TKO. But those are all top five. Mm, you could argue where Korean Zombie is. Let's say top seven fighters in the division. Jose Aldo, top three. Ortega, top four. Korean Zombie, I don't know, top seven. So this should be interesting. He wasn't a small featherweight, and he's 5'11", and he's also only 30 years old. So he, has, he does have plenty of time to pack on muscle mass because he is tall. He's 5'11", but he's also fairly skinny. He's not super thin, but he, I would consider him a pretty big featherweight. Probably about the same size as Max Holloway, maybe a little bit bigger. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see him pack on an extra 10 pounds of muscle probably. Maybe a little bit less, but the cut will be better. His cardio should improve once he gets used to the weight. Let's just hope he doesn't push himself too fast because, again, it's always an issue with this. Give him, I don't know, a top 25 lightweight, but don't give him Paul Felder or Edson Barboza or something like that. Give him a more easier one. And then next bit of news here, you have Paul Felder signs a new multi-fight deal with the UFC. Love this. Paul Felder has had a sort of a career renaissance. He is on a three-fight win streak since losing to Mike Perry on short notice, and that's up a weight class because Paul Feld is a lightweight. Perry is a huge, not huge, but he's a big guy. He's a welterweight. Just compare them side by side. The difference in size is pretty big. And he's 35, but he's, again, he seems to have a bit of a career renaissance. He's back, and he's fighting Hooker soon. That's a great fight. I'm super excited for that one. And that'll help us place him a bit more accurately than division. I mean, we still don't really know where Hooker is. I guess that's more of a placement fight for Hooker. But, yeah, that seems to be a thing with some guys. Guys will just get suddenly really good, even though they're past their physical prime. I don't know if it's a genetics thing or what, but some guys have had sort of a a rebirth after 35 or when they really should be past their physical prime. And this sort of says something. Is experience more valuable in MMA? As long as your chin is okay... And, it's, you know, they, I know a lot of guys are getting away from sparring, but really there's no real, real other way to get in-cage experience because you can drill techniques all you want, but unless you do it against someone who's throwing back at you, it's hard to find imperfections in that. I don't know. Let me, go, no, let me know what you guys think. I'm just happy to see Paul Felder back, or he, knowing that he will be coming back. Um, next bit of news, you have Rafael Dos Andros versus Michael Chiesa announced for January 25th, and I think this will either be the co-main or below the co-main in the Junior Dos Santos versus Curtis Blades card. I think it will co-main under Frankie Edgar versus Corey Sanhagen, since that's a better main event, I would think. It's a higher ranking. Frankie Edgar is probably more of a name. This is kind of a weird fight, though. Dos Andros is ranked, what, 5th? welterweight and Chiesa is not even a top 15 I don't think and I don't really know what he has to offer for RDA because I think RDA is better everywhere I think he's better on the feet better striking better wrestling and he's been more consistent on the ground and this is unless he's completely washed up but he didn't look completely washed up he's fought the best of the best in the division and looked competent I guess I mean he's been dominated by Usman, the Covington fight was pretty competitive. He beat the shit out of Kevin Lee, though. So he's clearly still got it. He's, he, on paper, he's 1-3 in his last four fights. But again, he's only been fighting extremely good fighters. 
And I do think he's got some left in the tank. And Kiesa has looked good at welterweight so far, but you got to look at his competition. He's beat Carlos Condit, the shell of Carlos Condit, and Diego Sanchez, who's not even... I don't even know. He's just there, I guess. <laughs> just, I don't, he shouldn't really be fighting anymore. The guy's gone absolutely crazy. He doesn't even have a corner, right? That's He has like some shaman as his cornerman. It's something really weird. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Diego Sanchez versus Michael Parif, speaking of Diego Sanchez, is actually got announced on February 15th. So this is on the same card that the Corey Anderson, Jan Blakovic rematch is on. We talked about that last week. Just such a shit show, man. <laughs> this fight is gonna be just awful. I and just there's only one way. Really, there's two ways I could see it going. Sanchez wrestles Para the whole time, the same way we saw Connolly do it to Para. Just survive the first round, and then wait for him to get tired, and then just wrestle fuck him, even though you're way smaller than him. Or Para knocks him out, and then and I think that's the more likely outcome, just because of how old Diego Sanchez is. Obviously, he used to be tough as hell. He's still tough as hell for getting in there, obviously, but it just doesn't have the same chin he used to. Ah, and more disappointing news. Brian Ortega's injured, and he's out of his bout with the Korean zombie. I forget. I think this was on the last card of the year, supposed to headline. It was a partial ACL tear. Ah, yeah, that sucks. Oh, I forgot to mention this earlier. Um... Edgar is actually going to replace Ortega here. So he's going to fight Korean Zombie. So Edgar will not be cutting to bantamweight. Damn, that sucks. I forgot about this until I read this in my notes. So Sanhagen is not going to fight anytime soon. Or maybe he will just against someone else. I actually think that's better. I think Sanhagen deserves a fight that's more relevant to bantamweight. Again, my issue with... So we had Jose Aldo fighting Petter Yan and then Corey Sanhagen fighting... Um, Frankie Edgar, and I really didn't like that fight. Yeah, I didn't. I really did not like that fight because even if Sanhagen and Jan both beat who they were in a fight, we still don't know who the number one contender is. Now that we have four top contenders, and I don't know, I just I'm glad it didn't happen. Um, but I think that's it for this week's news. So we're gonna move on to the upcoming card here, UFC 245, the big one. The big one. And there's so many good fights on it. We're going to start from the bottom. Not super noteworthy, but Jessica I will be fighting Viviane Araujo. This just shows you how bad women's flyweight is. Jessica I just lost the, to Valentina Shevchenko six months ago in her title fight. She's already backed on in the early prelims. Just women's flyweight is not that great. But it should be an interesting fight. And then you've got Brendan Moreno versus Kaikara France. I love me some Kaikara France. Actually, I forget if it was his last fight or the fight before, but I actually felt like he lost it, but he got the decision anyway. But, yeah, it was a split decision. Um, but Brandon Moreno's fun to watch as well. And this should be a good fight. I recommend watching it. Flyweights are always fun. And moving up a little bit, we've got Matt Brown versus Ben Saunders. Matt Brown is coming back after a two-year delay. His last one was over Diego Sanchez, so not that great. But, yeah, this it's a fight between kind of washed-up welterweights. Ben Saunders is 36, is, is one in his last five. Matt Brown is 38 and is one in his last four. And he's 38 years old, but he is the heavy favorite. Minus 360 for Matt Brown. 
What else we got here? We got Mike Perry coming back against Jeff Neal. Mike Perry already coming back. Just fought four, four, four months ago against Vincente Luque. He got his nose. All sorts of messed up. So it's insane that he's coming back so soon. I, if I was a doctor, I don't think I would advise that. But Jeff Neal's pretty heavily favored. This should be a fun fight, though. Every Mike Perry fight is fun to watch, win or lose. So tune in for that one. I think this is a prelim headliner, it looks like. Yeah, this is going to headline the prelims. So watch that fight. It might be the most exciting fight on the card. And then going to the main card, you have Peter Yan versus Uri Faber. Peter Yan is the minus 500 favorite. And yeah, this is a fight that really does not make any sense to me. Peter Yan is clearly a top contender in the division. He has dominated his last few fights very heavily. Faber is coming off a run over Ricky Simon or Simone. I think it's Simone. But just, this fight does not make any sense to me. Faber does not deserve this. And this fight does nothing for the division. Peter Yan is almost surely going to win this fight. And then what? We know Peter Yan is better than Uri Faber. And I would say most people already knew that. Faber is probably not going to take him down. He's probably going to melt under the pressure like most people do. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't like this fight. And then you have Jose Aldo versus Marlon Moraes. Interesting fight here. Jose Aldo is looking like absolute shit cutting, to be honest with you. He's not look good at all. Interesting. Moraes is the minus 200 favorite, so pretty heavy. Moraes coming off that win over Suhudo. Looked really good in the first round. <sighs> yeah, just... Honestly, Marlon Moraes kind of fought like Jose Aldo in the olden days, the WEC days, in that first round, and then Cejudo turned it around in one of the best comebacks ever. I really want Cejudo to come back, but I'm pretty sure he's coming off a few surgeries. But it's an interesting fight just to see Jose Aldo again look pretty ghastly cutting from, cutting to bantamweight. But we'll see. Sometimes guys just look terrible cutting, but they end up fine. We'll see how diminished he is. Marais is obviously a great fighter. I don't like this as his first fight. Why not put Aldo versus Faber again? Just for the olden days. I don't know. I just don't really like this for Jose Aldo. Win or lose, he's going to get beat up. And then we move on to our three title fights here. So the first one is Amanda Nunes versus Duran Duranami. This is a rematch. Um, a few years ago, they fought, and Nunez won by KO, I believe, as she tends to do. Does she? Yeah, or her last decision was against Valentina Shevchenko. really shows you how good Valentina Shevchenko is. She's the only one who can really compete with Nunez. But anyway, this is a pretty good fight. Um, Nunez is one of my favorite fighters, male or female. She just always brings it. She's insane. Durandami is... Much bigger, actually. Amanda Nunes is only 5'9". Duran Duran is 5'10". But again, in their last fight, that didn't matter. Uh, yeah, I just I don't really see what Duran Duran has to offer to beat Amanda Nunes. The only way I could see her really getting a good, a good chance here, I guess, is Amanda Nunes just tiring herself out over five rounds. Speaking of five rounds, there are... Three fights on this card that are title fights, so it's going to drag on. Especially because I think this one will probably be a stoppage. or uh, If it is a stoppage, it'll be a late one, but I think it's more likely to go to a decision. The first fight was oh was round one. 
I mean, what do I know? Yeah, Dorinda ran me. She's on a five or six fight winning streak. She has some decent wins. She's got Holly Holm, Aspen Ladd, and Raquel Pennington in her last three. Those are decent wins. It's respectable. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see Duranami beating Nunez. I, just, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't see what she has to offer. Similar to Faber-Yan, I just don't think they have the toolbox. And then we have Max Holloway versus Volkanovski. This is probably the fight I'm most excited for. Aside from the Mike Perry fight, obviously. Um, yeah, this is a great fight. Max Holloway, only the minus 175 favorite, and I don't really know why it's so low. Max has looked amazing in his last few performances, and I don't see... I mean, Volkanovski is a great fighter, but again, it's one of those fights where I don't think Volkanovski has the toolbox to do it. I think he will be very competitive. I think this fight is exciting because both these guys are cardio monsters. Unless Max Holloway's chin has cracked, I don't see a great avenue to victory for Volkanovski. He's gonna... I don't, I don't know. I just don't know what the best... the best game plan is for him because his game is pressure, 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 cardio. But we've seen Max Holloway. He can counter-strike. He will have the better cardio, I think. I think Max Holloway will always have the better cardio against anyone he fights. Because he just he doesn't have a ton of muscle. He's pretty thin. Volkanovski is going to have a lot more muscle. He's the bigger fighter, even though he's... How many inches shorter? Five. Five inches shorter. But I think he is... The... He will have more muscle. He will carry more muscle. <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just don't see what Volkanovski has to offer Holloway. But if he does have something to offer Holloway, it'll be very exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, he's got power, but Max Holloway's fought plenty of people with power. He's fought people with volume. He's fought Poirier, who has both, and that was a very competitive fight. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I just don't see Volkanovski winning this fight. If he does, and I'm proven wrong, that's great. Because I want to see a rematch, because I love Max Holloway. But yeah, I don't know. And then you have your main event, of course. Finally, Colby Covington gets the real title shot. Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. Welterweight title shot. And this is a pretty interesting fight. The odds are minus 190 for Usman, which I think is pretty fair. So interesting. I'm looking at the stats on Tapology. Only 59% of people picked Usman to win. So that's pretty interesting. I think Usman takes this just because of the strength advantage. I'm glad there hasn't been too much trash talk in the lead-up to this fight, or I haven't really noticed any, because two of not the best trash talkers in MMA. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just don't see... And again, I don't see what Covington has that will beat Usman. His striking is going to be way worse. Or not maybe not way worse. Usman doesn't have great striking, but I think he will have inferior striking. I think his the wrestling might not work. Because Usman is just bigger and stronger. It'll be interesting to see who leads the dance in this one. Who's the pressure fighter. Because I don't think this will turn into a striking match. It's cer certainly the possibility. But I think both these guys rely so heavily on the takedown. That um, it, they will both be going for it at some point. Though on second thought I also wouldn't be surprised. If this did turn into a striking match. I would. If I had to. 
guess I would say Colby leads the dance. I would say he he's the guy who's pressuring, and Usman might be looking to counter strike and maybe get some reactive takedowns. We haven't. I mean, RDA got some takedowns on Covington, so I wouldn't be surprised if this goes in the later rounds. Assuming Usman's cardio holds up, which I think it will, then he might be able to get some easier takedowns. Yeah, we just haven't seen that much of Covington's defensive wrestling. Also, haven't seen very much of Usman's defensive wrestling, excepting in someone like Damian Maya, who does not have great takedowns. Yeah, they, these guys do have a common opponent in RDA. Usman performed better, but MMA and math doesn't really work. The only thing we really learned from that is what I mentioned already, that RDA was able to take Covington down. I think if Usman does take Covington down, then he'll be more likely to hold him down versus Covington goes for more the the cage wrestling style where he'll take you down, but he won't really secure it. He just tries to lean on you. And it'll be interesting to see if he can implement more damage because I don't think tiring out Usman is worth it. I think you're just going to end up tiring yourself. This fight is interesting because, again, just the cardio. Honestly, the, the top two fights on this card, both all four of these fighters have insane cardio. The, the most suspicious one is probably Usman just because of how big he is. He's six feet. He's pretty big. Covington is a pretty small welterweight. I did a little bit of research. He cuts from the low 180s. Usman is probably high 180s, maybe. It's hard. To, it's always hard to guess walk-around weights or where they cut from, but Usman's definitely the bigger fighter. He has a much longer reach, 14 centimeters, 5.5 inches. So Covington will definitely have to pressure to get inside. But yeah, it's, this is a great card. Three title fights, obviously. It's going to be a long one because if all three go to the decision, that's over an hour of cards or an hour of fights to watch. But yeah, it should be fun. Um, even just from the bottom, Brendan Moreno versus Kaikara France. That should be a fun one. Matt Brown, Ben Saunders should be decent. Mike Perry, Jeff Neal. Watch that fight. Do yourself a favor because Mike Perry is always fun to watch. Yeah, you got that fight, and then you have Peter Yan versus Uriah Faber. This should be a fun one. I think Peter Yan will probably get the stoppage. If you watch Cal, or I was gonna say California Kid, if you watch Uriah Faber's last fight, he got rocked right before he got the knockout by Ricky Simon, who does not have the best striking. So I think this is probably gonna be a first round knockout. Just Faber's gonna wilt under the pressure, and he's gonna eat shots because his striking defense isn't the best. I guess his best case is if he's able to get reactive takedowns somehow. But Pedrian has shown good grappling. You got Jose Aldo versus Marlon Moraes, obviously. Jose Aldo, bantamweight debut, should be exciting. We'll see how it goes. I think, yeah, like, yeah. we'll see how diminished Jose Aldo is. I think that's the most interesting part. It's so weird because so many people were thinking he was going to go to lightweight. Because there's some fun fights there, like Anthony Pettis. I think that would be a great one that a lot of people are talking about. But apparently not. Apparently he went the opposite way. It's just, it bothers me a lot because he's 33, which on paper isn't that young. Or it's not that old, rather. But he has had 33 professional fights, and most of those have been at the highest level. I mean, when was the last time? I remember when he fought Volkanovski. He said it was weird to not be in a five-round fight. Which, I mean, that's what this is. This is a three-round fight, which I guess helps him because he doesn't have to be in there for five rounds. But, yeah, we'll see. 
Obviously, you got the three title fights that are going to be awesome. Nunes versus G GDR. The rematch, which I think goes similar to the first one. Max Holloway, Volkanovski. Cardio Kings. Big height difference. We'll see what Volkanovski is able to do against Holloway. Usman versus Covington. Two more Cardio Kings. And we'll see what, able, what Covington is able to do against Usman, really. And, yeah, it's great. It's also great because you have three number one contenders getting title shots. Just according to Tapology, Dorinda Marinmi is the number two ranked bantamweight. Volkanovski is the number two ranked featherweight. And Colvin Covington is the number one ranked welterweight. So it's nice to see that's all sorted itself out. Obviously, some divisions still need to go through that process. Bantamweight mostly. <laughs> featherweight. But, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Leave a review if you enjoyed the podcast. Drop it a like wherever you're listening. Um... And yeah, I think that's going to do it. And peace out.